Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, welcome to Parenting Your Challenging Child. This is Dr. Ross Green, coming to you from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Delighted that you are joining in on the program today, either live or through your iPod or through the listening library on the Lives in the Balance website. Um, We do this every week. Occasionally we have to skip a week due to uh, hurricanes, uh, superstorms, as the most recent one was known, holidays, etc. We got Thanksgiving coming up here in the United States anyways. Um, we may end up talking about that a little bit today because holidays can be tough in families with behaviorally challenging kids. Um, and, of course, uh, the big ones are just around the corner. Yes, I'm hearing Christmas music on the radio already. I don't know. Have I... Did I lose track of something, or did the did the holiday music usually begin after Thanksgiving? Well, and this is some of my favorite music. I'm not complaining. I just doesn't really feel like it's right around the corner just yet. What do I know? Welcome to the program. Boy, did we have a great annual conference on. Friday, last week, November 16th, here in Portland, Maine. Almost 400 people participated in the second annual Lives in the Balance conference. The theme was, we're not done yet. We heard some outstanding keynote speakers, including Richard Ross, who came to us from Santa Barbara, California, to present his photos of life inside juvenile detention facilities, and these are really very poignant images that he presented. He's asking some very provocative questions about why things still are the way they are in many of our juvenile detention facilities. Of course, Maine, as our second keynote speaker, Barry Studley, who's the Associate Commissioner uh, for Juvenile services in the Department of Corrections in the state of Maine, as he pointed out after Richard Ross presented his photos. Maine uh, is sort of at the cutting edge for how things should be done in juvenile detention. Um, Among the things that has been going on in Maine, many of you know this already, is that uh, beyond uh, implementing solving problems collaboratively in Maine's system of juvenile detention, 
It's being implemented in Maine's schools as well. And, of course, that was most of the rest of the day. We saw video and heard presentations from many of the schools that are implementing the model um, and have been doing so for the last year or two. Some very heartwarming stories about lives that have been affected um, by the model and by the hard work that people have been doing in implementing it in schools. It was quite a day, and um, I sure do hope that all those who were in attendance got uh, a lot out of it. Um, As I said, um, we've become so numbers-oriented in our schools and in our systems. Nice to take a day to sit back and just think about compassion and humanity and lives being touched. Um, I hope it was a good day for everybody who was there. Of course, now we are back at it with the parents program. And um, let me give you the call-in number, 347-994-2981. This would be a very good day to call in. Next week, we have the parents panel. Um, And so you can always call in during parents panel days. But if you have any questions you want to get answered, need any form of support, Anything at all, 347-994-2981. We do not have any callers at the moment, so I am going to turn our attention directly to the emails. And uh, we're going to do this in the order in which they were received, as the uh, saying goes. And uh, here we go. Uh, Dr. Green, thanks for taking the time to read my email. You bet. I'm reading The Explosive Child and have viewed all your training videos on YouTube. Uh, I work at a children's home where we implement a different model. We try to tailor this model to meet each kid where they're at. Um, We try to address the lagging skills by teaching our kid specific skills and praising them for implementation. However, we use a point-based system to motivate and reward kids for exhibiting positive skills and behaviors. With many kids, this seems effective. But with explosive kids, they lose a lot of points for behaviors while exploding and always seem to be in the hole. Would you recommend identifying the explosive kids and only solving problems collaboratively with them and avoid the point consequences altogether? Or does another solution come to mind? Thanks so much for any advice. I know you're busy, in parentheses. Yes, that is true. I'm busy. But, well, we're doing this right now. But anything we can learn from you will help kids who desperately need it. Okay, here's, here's, here's the deal. I'm not allergic to giving kids the incentive to do well. How do we give kids the incentive to do well? We, um, and by the way, we have a caller, caller from area code 312. I'm going to get to you as soon as I, because we give callers top priority on this program, going to get to you as soon as I finish answering this question. It just might take me five or six minutes. I'm not allergic to um, giving kids the incentive to do well. The problem is I find that it is largely unnecessary. Popular though it might be, I find that it's unnecessary. First of all, this model begins with some very important assumptions two of them in particular. Kids do well if they can. The 
paraphrase of that is, if they could do well, they would do well. If they're not doing well, it's because they're lacking the skills to not do well. That's important theme number one. Important theme number two, doing well is preferable. In other words, the kid is already motivated to do well because doing well is preferable. No kid says to himself, I have the skills to do well, so I could do well if I wanted to do well. But doing poorly is working out far better for me than doing well would. I just don't think that happens. And so, I don't think kids need added incentive to do well. Number one, they do well if they can. And number two, doing well works out better for them than doing poorly. So, um, I tend to stay away from incentive programs, uh, point-based systems, as you're saying in your email, aimed at motivating and rewarding kids for positive skills and behaviors, um, because I think that they are already motivated to do well. And I don't love the slippery slope that we get on with many kids who are already motivated to do well, and that's all of them. I don't like the slippery slope of offering something extrinsic for motivation that I believe is there already. Kids do well if they can. Doing well is preferable. But the stakes, uh, and people could quabble with all of that, and, and yet quibble, quibble or quabble, I don't remember. I'm too tired from the conference to remember whether it's quibble or quabble, but that's okay. I'll look it up, maybe even as we're talking here this morning, and we'll let you know if it's quibble or quabble. Maybe it's both. Squabble, quibble, squabble. See, I don't know what that's called when you combine two words, neither of which is and, and, and invent a new word, quabble. I think quabble is a mixture of squibble, <laughs> quibble, and squabble. We'll go with quibble. There are kids out there who are no, no who no longer appear to be motivated to do well. I find that those tend to be the older kids, and they don't have to be older. They just have to be a kid who's been so overcorrected, so overdirected, and especially so overpunished for such a long period of time that they've kind of thrown in the towel on doing well, and now they don't look like they want to do well anymore. But a reward and punishment program is not what those kids need either. Those kids need us to figure out what skills they're lacking. Those kids need us to understand, to identify what unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion their challenging episodes those kids need us to figure out why the reward and punishment programs that have been applied in all those years that preceded them deciding that they weren't capable of doing well, that they'd thrown in the towel on doing well. Why would we want to continue doing that stuff? So it is tempting with the kids who no longer look like they think it's even feasible to do well to give them the incentive, but that's not what I would do with those kids either. But that's all... 
truth is if a reward and punishment program has a neutral impact, I'm probably not too troubled by it. I, I might not think it's the ideal thing to do. I might not think it's the best use of adults' time. But as you're pointing out in your question, in the case of behaviorally challenging kids, the impact is not neutral. Many behaviorally challenging kids, because they are lacking the skills that they are lacking, get extremely upset if they're being punished. My goodness, you want to see a behaviorally challenging kid at his worst, punish him. But there's also the other end of it. They also get upset and are at their worst when they don't achieve the anticipated reward that they thought they had coming to them. They get upset over that too. And so now the reward and punishment program that I don't think we need in the first place is not only not getting the job done, it's making things worse. We don't want to make things worse. The big question in your facility is how badly you need the reward and punishment program for the kids who aren't exploding either. I mean, solving problems collaboratively is almost the imperative with the ones who are going to get upset if they're getting punished and upset if they don't get the reward they thought they had coming to them. But how badly do we really need it with the other ones? If the other ones are exhibiting challenging behaviors but simply not exploding, I can tell you this, they're lacking skills too. And they have unsolved problems too. And I'm just not sure that rewarding and punishing adds anything to the mix. Now, last important point. I find that when adults are implementing reward and punishment programs with kids, and to our caller from area code 312, I apologize. This is taking longer than the five or six minutes I anticipated, but just give me two or three more, and then I'll be right with you. Um, when adults are implementing reward and punishment programs with kids, I find that both the adults and the kids get very caught up in the rewards and the punishments and lose sight of what it is that the kid is actually working on. Not only that, and what the kid is supposed to be working on is unsolved problems and lagging skills. But a lot of reward and punishment programs are based on behavior. And behavior is the least important part. As I've always said, or that I've been saying much more lately, you can reward and punish a kid till the cows come home for the behavior he's exhibiting that you don't like and try to, well, you'd be punishing that behavior, and reward him for the replacement behaviors that you'd rather be seeing instead. But the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors would still remain unsolved because we're not focused on them. So, number one, adults and kids tend to get caught up in the rewards and the punishments, but number two, the adults and the kids tend to be almost exclusively focused on behaviors, not on solving the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors. So I've, I talk myself out of 
Well, I, I don't. This is not something that talks me out of it. I'm practical about this. I don't think that there's added value in an incentive program, and that's many people don't agree with that, and that's fine. That's just my my position, and you've heard why now. I, I think that incentive programs can make behaviorally challenging kids worse. I think that incentive programs cause adults and kids to focus on the wrong thing. Now you get to decide. And thank you very much for your uh, questions. We've got a bunch more, but we are going to turn our attention now. We've got two callers now. We may never get to other questions today, but that's okay. Area code 312, you are on the air. What's on your mind today? Hi, Dr. Green. Uh, my name is Jeff, and we've had the pleasure of meeting before. I met you when you were at uh, New Trier High School last spring. Thanks for coming to the Chicago area. We really appreciated seeing you here. You bet. Uh, the reason I'm calling, my wife and I went to a post. And don't use, don't use um, any names. Don't use any names. Don't right. use any. Keep going. Okay. Went to a post-suspension uh, uh, reinstatement uh, meeting this morning. Uh, my son was suspended last week for some challenging behavior, and uh, he's in fourth grade. We, My wife identified some severe emotional disorders with him at about 18 months. She's a pediatric nurse practitioner and did a really good job with that. So we are... Um, we have the great pleasure of working with a team of really caring educators who, frankly, uh, we think are using the wrong set of tools. Uh, we introduced uh, your program. I know you're not calling it CPS anymore, but we uh, basically introduced the model that uh, you've spread to them a few years ago, and they've sort of casually tried bits and pieces of it. We've used it at home with great success, mm -hmm. uh, but we're to the point where they're going to be suggesting uh, probably an outplacement from his uh, present situation. We're not sure yet whether we're going to resist that until we gather more information. Mm -hmm. But we've, we've got some members of the team that are very, very eager uh, to mm -hmm. use your approach. Uh, one was going to come out to Maine this year, but for budgetary reasons, the district decided not to send her. But I'm just wondering how how you've been successful outside of places in the Northeast where you have some well-intentioned uh, educators who really want to do the right thing but are going about it without adequate leadership at the top, without the context to really deploy your model fully. So we tried to uh, introduce the assessment of lagging skills last year as being really the approach to handling the situation where the adults, frankly, lack the skills to deal with challenging kids. Mm -hmm. And we haven't got there. So now we're to the point where they're suggesting outplacement, and we feel, feel they haven't haven't really adopted the approach that you have uh, identified that we think has been very, very successful. So I know that's a long and very compound question, but as you know really well, these situations always involve long, compound questions. So uh, that that's that's what I'd like to talk about today. Got it. Thank you for calling. The, the keyword that I there were a few keywords I heard within what you said. The, the first was a fourth grader who got suspended. Um, first of all, I'm really sorry about that. Yeah, this I don't is think third in the last two years. All right, so I don't think fourth graders should get suspended. But of course, I don't think the vast majority of kids who get suspended should get suspended. I think it's unnecessary 
99.9% of the time that it occurs, and counterproductive, um, maybe an even higher percentage of the time than that. So first, I'm sorry that that happened. Second key word that I heard was casually. They've been casually trying to implement the model. Um, that tends not to get the job done, and you, I, I don't know exactly what they've done to try to implement it, but um, casual implementation of the model doesn't usually get the job done, mainly because often casual equals a few different things. Casual means um, they haven't completed the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Casual can sometimes mean the unsolved problems are worded in a way that doesn't lend itself to the actual solving of the problem. Casual can mean that people, because the ALSEP may not have been completed, because the priorities weren't established, they may still be trying to solve problems in the heat of the moment primarily rather than proactively. You would know better than me what uh, casual correct. Yes. means, right? But that's what casual usually means. And casual often means that while we are going to give this a bit of an attempt, we are going to continue doing, as his most recent suspension may suggest, um, we're going to return to what we always do when our casual approach to doing something else isn't getting the job done. So that's what – and casual can often mean that people aren't really putting a concerted effort into getting good at doing plan B and getting good at solving problems collaboratively. So if all of those things, or even part of them, are what casually means, then I would have no anticipation at all that implementation of solving problems collaboratively would have gotten the job done with your son. But now let me make an offer um, that I am going to kick myself for making because then everybody's going to want me to do it, but you called in. So this is we won't say this is your reward for calling in because we're trying not to reward or punish anybody for doing anything but um <laughs> i'm delighted to get on the phone for an hour with the folks in your school system to help them think through what they could be doing to actually implement the model well with your son and i think it would be good for you to be present at the meeting so that we could also think through and i don't want to stick my nose where it doesn't belong if this does not interest you then of course uh, decline the offer, but also to help everybody think through whether an outside placement is truly necessary. Um, what, what, we're, what I'm hearing now is that casual implementation of the model plus returning to the way business as usual is done when the model isn't getting the job done when it's casually implemented um, has people now thinking that your son belongs someplace else. On the surface of it, I'm not persuaded, but I'd be happy to engage them and you and your wife in a discussion about that over the in a teleconference to um, see if that's really true and to see if there might be some things that could be beefed up in the existing school if that's the way, if that makes sense for your son and for them to help it go better than it's going right now. Uh, absolutely. First of all, that's that's an extraordinarily generous offer and, and much appreciated. I, I also think that a good part of his IEP team will be very, very welcoming uh, because, again, there is a desire. This is a very committed, passionate group of people who know that they don't have they don't have the right skills themselves to deal with challenging children like my son. 
so we we would absolutely enjoy that opportunity. Uh, I think they, like a lot of educators you're probably seeing in Maine, need to have the context in which to bring this into the day-to-day of running a school with hundreds of other children who don't have the same challenges, have their own challenges, but they're more uh, common, if you will, or more consistent with the way things are done. So I think I think this group would be very open to getting some additional ideas about how to uh, introduce this to the school system. I, I think you saw a very receptive group on the North Shore in Chicago when you visited here. I did. But a lot of them simply, they, they just lack they lack a, a champion locally, I, I think, to to I help them true. see how to make it happen here. Uh, there's still an old rubric in place. It's what everybody knows. It's what they were taught. Uh, so uh, please let me know how I get in st- touch with your staff to, to coordinate that, but I think we'll find a very receptive audience. Just, just go to the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. Okay. Um, say that you spoke with me on the program today and say that you uh, – and it'll get – They'll, they'll forward it straight to me anyways, but say that um, I had offered to talk on a phone with the educators in your son's school, and um, I'm happy to arrange that with you. It'll get forwarded to me, so you'll be hearing directly from me anyways, and we'll get it set up. And, and I have a short follow-up question. This one will be very short. I know you have another caller. Uh, one of the things we offered last year to send one of the educators to your seminar, one of the educator seminars in on the East Coast, and uh, including flight, you know, hotels, everything. I mean, that's how committed we were to having the system understand it. Uh, we were then told that the district was going to do it, and we didn't find out until this fall that it, it didn't happen for various reasons. Apparently, there are prohibitions on a direct uh, sponsorship by a parent for this kind of training. Is there any way that we can sort of sponsor your organization and then have the grant extended to one of those educators so that they can get that intensive training? Certainly something we can talk about um, when we connect. Okay, very um, good. Well, thank you, Dr. Happy Green. Happy to find it. a way to make sure that it happens, and um, okay. let's see what we can accomplish. And here's here's the only thing I would thank say. You. Let's make sure, yep. to give them that we're talking about this on the radio program, after this conversation takes place, let's make sure that we connect, reconnect on the radio program to let people know what happened so that others can benefit from knowing what transpired, what the process was, and what resolution we came to. Sound good? Uh, absolutely, I'm absolutely committed to that. I mean, one of the things that I've benefited from over the last year is being able to listen to a lot of the both the parent uh, radio call-ins as well as your call-ins with the educators. It's it's great to get the perspective of both sides because uh, we as parents tend to, to look at things through a very narrow lens, and sometimes educators deal from the lens of their own experience. So, uh, I'm absolutely committed to doing what is necessary to, to spread the word on this. Fantastic. Then I may I may be uh, tapping you for other things as well, but let's get this first thing done first. Thank you, Dr. Green. Really appreciate you it. You bet. Thanks for calling in. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, by the way, I, as uh, let's make sure that everybody – I mean, the goal is to have that Lives in the Balance website be the um, hub for all of this stuff. And, boy, is it chock full – of stuff we've of content and information for how to make these things happen but real life is what helps other people who are in similar situations um learn 
what they can do in their communities. So while it is not possible for me, although I wish it was possible for me or one of my staff, to be on the phone with a school system, and you know what, if Lives in the Balance raises enough money, uh, that'll be one of our top priorities, to have somebody who can be on the phone with folks in a school system to sort these things through. Um, that's that's all fundraising stuff, which I don't do on this radio program. Um, but that's the goal, is to make, if, if it's happening in one place, let's make sure that thousands of people know what happened so that it happening in one place benefits thousands. That's That's the goal. By the way, along those lines, though almost 400 people were at the Lives in a Balance conference on uh, Friday last week, three days ago, um, we will be streaming highlights from the conference on the Lives in a Balance website as soon as our video guy can um, get it back to me and we can get it posted. I'm hoping within the next two or three weeks. So you can see Richard Ross doing his keynote and showing his photos of juvenile detention centers, you can see the videos from the schools in Maine um, and hear the presentations from the staff in those schools who've been implementing the model in their buildings and see the videos of the parents and of some of the kids um, who have benefited from the model. As soon as I can get that stuff up there, it'll be there. In the meantime, area code 763, you're on the air. What's up today? Hi, Dr. Green. Um, I called you several weeks ago. Um, I think I was the first call of the of the year once you were back um, to talk to you about my son who has um, Tourette syndrome and associated ADHD and OCD. Okay. And you were extremely helpful. Um, we in uh, talking about some of the challenges we were having. Um, just to remind you, he had really aggressive tics last year, but we've been working with a physician who's managed to change up some medications and stuff. So we have a kid with not a lot of visible tics, but a lot of yep. um, impulsive activity and a lot of blurting out and a lot of motion. It looks like he's not paying attention during class, et cetera, yep. even though... It's coming back to me. It's coming back. He's, even though he's working, Okay. And so I went and uh, met with his teacher, and we've had – he has a very new teacher, but she's very receptive to um, working with him collaboratively and has actually implemented some strategies um, for him, including for his blurting. She actually found um, some PVC piping that has been moved, made into, like, a little phone that he can whisper into, so if he needs to blurt or talk through the answers, he can actually do it really quietly in the phone and hear it himself. That's so, I creative. Mean, I, yeah, and um, she actually um, placed a puzzle in her classroom that if he needs to get up and move and do something active while she's lecturing, which is a very challenging time for him, um, he he's able to just get up and go work on a puzzle while he's listening to instruction. So, I mean, really, really proactive teacher. Um, we also met with a lot of his specialist teachers. He's also in fourth grade, just to remind you, just like your last caller. And... Um, basically brought them up to speed with where he is and what his challenges are as they were getting frustrated as well with what looked like inattention and disrespectful behavior. And um, now when I talked to you, we didn't have an IEP. Um, so the teacher and I were coming along with our own, coming up with our own strategies and working with Nick. And um, we also reached out to the, the whole class. My husband and I, um, my husband and I actually went into the classroom 
and um, met with all of the students and just explained what was going on with him so that the kids could understand. But where we were left was that um, he's going to continue a lot of this stuff and kids are just going to have to deal with it, um, which is obviously not ideal, um, and we want to continue to work towards improvement. So um, that being said, I've just heard back from his his IEP specialist, and um, I, I wonder if it would be okay if I just quickly um, read you her observations, because that's sure. the goal of my call. So she said, I just wanted to check in with you and let you know that I've met with your son a couple of times now, as well as observed in class. I also wanted to Uh, you to have a heads up about today's visit. On my first visit, your son was very good at explaining Tourette's to me and how that interferes with him at school sometimes. He reported that his new medication has really helped him, but that it is still hard for him. Uh, And I spoke, uh, he and I spoke briefly about the things that can help, and we decided a few weeks ago to try a TheraBand on his chair and a couple of other hand fidgets to see if that would help him calm down when he needs to calm himself. Today when I met with the teacher, she explained that the band seems to be more of a distraction with his hands than his feet, bending over in his chair and poking the band with his pencil, etc., which sounds right. Um, She also stated that although his tics have decreased from last year, that he seemed not to be making any attempt to follow along with the class. I observed in Spanish, and all of the kids were in desks taking notes and participating. He was at the back table playing. When I observed in his regular class, he was playing with some fidgets at his desk, but not really indicating that he was listening. Did not look at the book, missed all the prompts to turn the page. I was careful to explain to him that if uh, it's not helping him learn, we would need to try something else. So today, I decided to remove the band for now. I met with him, and of course he was upset, almost cried, broke my heart. He was able to explain that he really liked playing with it. I talked with him about uh, that the tools or strategies I work with him on are to help him focus and learn, and the goal was increased learning. I asked him if he felt like I was saying he wasn't trying or was bad, and he nodded his head. So we talked about how hard it is to be 10 and have a choice between learning and playing. He smiled and said, playing is better. The teacher also expressed concern that he seems to ignore her suggestions or prompts. I told him that learning is a huge job and that for kids with ADHD or Tourette's or other health issues, it is a humongous job. The teacher's job is to help teach and help kids learn. His job is to learn and accept help, and my job is to help when both he and his teacher need help to get this big job done. I told him that I wanted to be sure he was working very hard to learn, listening with eyes and ears. We worked on things he can do to keep his feet or hands busy, but that it was important that his body, eyes, and ears were working hard to learn. I am concerned that he may not be learning some of the basic student behaviors. I really need your help making sure that we are not expecting too little for him or too much. The teacher mentioned today that when I entered the room, his efforts Uh, his effort increases and disruptive behaviors cease immediately. It made me go, hmm, please let me know what your thoughts are and if you have any feedback. So, once again, feeling tempted to assume that he is able to control his behavior, which is what you and I talked talked about last time, I think. We've got another Mm -hmm. person entering the scene. And, you know, even though we have my agreement with the teacher was that when he needs to be doing something else, not to assume that he's not listening, because often she'll ask him if he looks like he's not attending to his work. Um, he's able to tell her back what he's what he's heard. 
So just wondering if you have any suggestions. I, I've reached out to this new IEP person to just say, well, let's meet. Let's let you know what we've been doing, you know, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, but just would like your initial thoughts on that. And then, um, you know, as I read the preliminary IEP goals, um, I don't want to just read this whole conversation to you, but um, they seem to lack the why and the how we are doing things. And it seems mm-hmm. to be very large, broad goals with no short-term objectives or plan of attack presented. So, Well, and that's, that is definitely one of the things I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what your son is capable of doing is always going to be a somewhat subjective thing. Right. Um, and there's somebody's voice who we would need to hear on that to help us help inform our, <laughs> by definition, subjective judgments on that. Right. And that's his. His, right. Um, we need to hear from him whether even when it looks like he's being inattentive, he's not being inattentive. We need to hear from him. And I'm not saying we're taking his his word as the final say on everything mm-hmm. and, that, and a, that adult judgments aren't important here as well, but I am saying that we need to hear from him so that we can make our judgments um, his voice is crucial in this. Right. And especially as it relates to what is he capable of doing and what is he not. Adults, I mean, it's a good thing to be worried about. Are we expecting too little or too much? Fine thing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need his voice in there as it relates to what he feels he's capable of doing because that's information we badly need. And I tend, while I do tend to take what kids are saying, not just tend, while I take what kids are saying at face value, Mm -hmm. once again, it's not that they have the final word, it's just that the information we get from them is crucial to have. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I would need your son's voice on inattention. I would need your son's voice on being disruptive in class and, um, what's going on when that happens. Um, yeah, and in some instances he's not aware that he's being disruptive. In other instances he is. So it would be uh, the ones on which he is aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we would. And bottom line, that's his. That that sounds like it's his voice there too. Um, mm-hmm. on, uh, are there times when he is aware that he's being disruptive and times when he's not? And that could lead us, if that was an unsolved problem that we are prioritizing, to an intervention aimed at letting him know that he was being disruptive, especially on times when it appeared that he did not know he was being disruptive. So that's there's, there's a great example of how just getting a little bit of information from him could help us work together better. Yeah. So I guess the bottom line is this. I wouldn't want to come to any judgments about what he's capable of doing and what he's not, asking too little or asking too much until right. we heard his voice. Now, here's the other big part, because his voice is going to be providing us with information that's going to inform our judgments, at the very least, even if we are not taking his judgments about himself as the final word. Mm -hmm. 
Here's the most important point, I think. You're right. People are talking very globally. For me to make things more specific, I would need a list of unsolved problems. Right. A list of highly specific unsolved problems so that we and he knew what it is that we were trying to gather information from him about and so that we and he knew what it is that we're working on right now and what it is that we're not. So long as that stays fuzzy, we are not going to be gathering high-quality information from him because we're not exactly sure what we're working on right now. And here's, this could be even worse. We're going to end up working on everything globally, thereby guaranteeing that we work on and solve nothing. Right. We need a list of unsolved problems, and we need to decide what the priorities are so we know what we're working on, and so does he, and so we know what we're gathering information about in the empathy step of Plan B, and so does he. So let me get some clarification on the whole unsolved problem thing. Obviously, the problem that he's having versus the problem that his teacher is having are somewhat different. Well, but no, I think the, that the problem that he's having would be the information that we gather in the empathy step of Plan B, but just okay. as an example of an unsolved problem, difficulty paying attention during XYZ class or XYZ lesson would be a very specific unsolved problem. And my bet is that if we said to him, and this is what the empathy step would sound like, I've noticed that you're having difficulty paying attention. I'll just make something up. Yeah. When we're writing paragraphs in writer's workshop, what's up? Now we yeah. are gathering information from him about that very specific unsolved problem. Now, worst case scenario, and I suspect this wouldn't happen, worst case scenario, he would say, I'm not having trouble paying attention during the writing of the paragraphs during writer's workshop, which is information all by itself. Right. Right? So, right. But that's what I'm talking about, about being specific. Here, another specific that I'm hearing from you. I've noticed that sometimes during XYZ class, sometimes you make noises, um, I don't know if I'd add this next part or not, that are distracting to the kids around you. What's up? Now, whatever he says next is going to be informative. He might say, yeah, I know I'm making those noises, and then we're going to get information about what he thinks that's about and what he thinks is going on. Or he might say, I don't make noises during XYZ class that are disruptive to other kids, in which case we still have information and the conversation mm -hmm. still continues, right? Yeah, I feel like we've had like all of these conversations at different times. And the challenge is that he he has I think, you know, and he and his teacher and I had this conversation. I said the nice thing is that a lot of his behavior that is challenging is predictable because as we observed, she took some very careful notes early in the semester and we looked and we noticed like here's what's happening in each Time. It seems to be consistent throughout the day, but it increases during times when he's having to just sit still and listen to instruction um, or um, during transition time. And so I said to her, well, that's, that's great. That's something that we know is going to be challenging, so maybe we can layer in interventions. And we talked with my son about it as well. And... Um, you know that's when we try to employ some of the some of these other tools but it feels like we're just throwing tactics in there with no real sense of direction like here's a squeezy ball <laughs> well and i'm wondering if we're missing like steps in there yeah um, on the surface of it 
you went, and maybe them too, went straight from identifying the unsolved problem to contemplating right. solutions, okay. which means that people may well have skipped the empathy step of plan B where we are gathering mm-hmm. information from mm-hmm. your son. Okay. People may well have skipped the define the problem step, which is where the adult is putting their concern or perspective entered into the consideration. And they jumped, right? and this is not an uncommon pattern, but they jumped straight from here's the problem to what are the solutions without all of the information that they need to actually start thinking about solutions. Um, that could be what it is. I'm not positive. I would um, say that's you know, true with the IEP work that's being done. The teacher that, and I have employed some and, specific and I, I steps. IEPs can be that way. Yeah. IEPs. But, but there are IEPs. I'm going to post one on the Lives in the Balance website as soon as I can that are written in the direction of solving problems collaboratively. Oh, that'd be great. And that would be a good one to have. And here's the other thing. If you want to, and we got to end now because we're about okay. out of time, but if you want to call in again and yeah, have okay. the folks, somebody from the school on the line at the same time. Oh, great. Um, kind of similar to the offer I made to call in number one, except that um, it, it sounds, would be on the air. Yep. It would be, it would be on the air, and it sounds like okay. they might be receptive to it, and that could be pretty cool. All right. Would you ever be interested in hearing um, from my son, or do you not like to do that? I don't like to do that on the air, but maybe. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. All right. Bye-bye. That's going to do it for us today. Hope you've gotten something out of today's program. That's the goal. Back next week with the parents' panel. Talk to you then. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.